Sometimes it is tough to keep up with everything going on in American politics. The ups, the downs, the ins and outs, the decisions and policies. We get it. At the NPR Politics Podcast, we'll break things down so that you can make meaning out of all the noise, get clarity on what decisions are being made and how they matter to you. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast. A warning, this episode contains discussion of child abuse. Roald Dahl's novel, Matilda, has been adapted many times over the years, including as a 1996 movie directed by Danny DeVito. The newest iteration is now streaming on Netflix. It's called Matilda the Musical, and the movie is based on the hit Broadway show. It features a cast of talented kids, Emma Thompson as villain Miss Trunchbull, and eye-popping choreography. But does it stand on its own apart from its predecessors? I'm Aisha Harris, and today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. Joining me today is Margaret H. Willison, Communications Manager at Not Sorry Productions. Welcome back, Margaret. Hi, Aisha. Thanks for having me. And also with us is podcast producer and film and culture critic Kate Young. Welcome back to you too, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me again. So Matilda the Musical stars Alicia Weir as Matilda Wormwood, an exceptionally precocious book-loving kid. Her horrible parents are played by Stephen Graham and Andrea Riceboro. They despise Matilda, bully, neglect her, and in response, she pulls dirty pranks like supergluing her dad's hat to his head. Now, when local authorities notice Matilda isn't enrolled in school, they force her parents to finally send her for a proper education. While there, she's taken under the wing of the sweet and patient teacher, Miss Honey, played by Lashana Lynch. She also goes head to head with the tyrannical headmistress, Miss Trunchbull, played by Emma Thompson. Sandu V plays Mrs. Phelps, a librarian and Matilda's friend. The film is directed by Matthew Warchus and written by Dennis Kelly, with music by Tim Minchin. And this is the same team behind the stage musical that played on Broadway and The West End. The basis of both versions is, of course, Roald Dahl's 1988 novel, Matilda. You can find Matilda musical streaming on Netflix now. So, Margaret, let's start with you. What did you think of Matilda, the musical? Well, I had mixed feelings about it. I think it is really well put together, really well cast in a lot of respects. The set design and production design are really remarkable and, like, um, very magical. And I loved the book when I was a kid, and I loved the story when I was a kid. Like a lot of Roald Dahl, no other author's works have suffered more from what I like to call the um, Doppler effect of maturity. When I encountered them as a kid, they sounded one way. And now that I encounter them as an adult, I'm experiencing them completely different. And this falls victim to some of that where it's just mm-hmm. like, nasty. <laughs> like it's just, it's a nasty story in a lot of respects. And you spend a lot of time with people behaving sadistically. It's like a very well done version of something that I have mixed feelings about. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the music is new to me. I'd not seen the musical when it was running on Broadway. It sure is there, <laughs> it's present. <laughs> That's the way to put it. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's where my feelings are, but I'm really excited to have a longer conversation about it. Yeah, I had similar feelings about especially the music. And this is a musical, so that that means something. <laughs> um, Kate, what about you? Well, besides a pretty big caveat that I'm sure we'll get into later, I quite loved this. I think that it was expertly put together. I think it does an incredible job kind of maintaining the necessary tonal balance between being a magical tale for children and like really demonstrating the cruelty of the adults in this world. 
The acting is fantastic. Uh, Margaret mentioned the set design. It's incredible. I think it has a really vibrant, toyetic feel that I really enjoyed. I was absolutely blown away to discover that my future wife, Lashana Lynch, has a wonderful singing voice, which I did not know. (laughs) So that was also delightful. I'm also just generally like biased to musicals (laughs) as a whole. Like I have spent an obscene amount of money on theater tickets. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm just all in for musicals in general. I really liked this. I wasn't familiar with the music before the movie, and once I had realized it was coming out, I decided to abstain. I found it really interesting, really clever. The sensibility was very fun. I thought that the songs in particular, especially the ones that Matilda sings, are very specific at capturing the themes of the story, which I really enjoyed. Um, and overall, I think it's a fantastic production. I really like it, and I would recommend it if not for the caveats that I have. Yeah, yeah. I definitely also had some reservations. But overall, when you think about a musical like this, especially a kid's musical, where there are a lot of kids involved, it really comes down to, are the kids believable and or not grading? (laughs) Does the music hold together? And I think for the former... I was very surprised and very happy to say that, like, all the kids I found incredibly charming Mm -hmm. and believable. I think that Alicia Weir is playing a very different version of Matilda than the one that I grew up with, which Mm -hmm. was the Mara Wilson version, which I loved. Granted, I have not gone back and rewatched that movie since I was a kid, so I don't know how much Mm -hmm. of it holds up. Mm -hmm. I remember her being way more sweet and... While, yes, she does some of the similar pranks on her parents as she does in the book and in this movie, the Mara Wilson version was just always kind of sweet and saccharine in a way Mm -hmm. that this has a lot of bites to it, a lot of acidity to it. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that in the way that this frames Matilda as sort of rebelling in a way and doing what she can to rebel, being very conscious about it, saying like, oh, well, if you're going to treat me like this, then... To heck with you, I'm going to do all this stuff to you. So, like, I really liked that. And I think that it's good to have a children's story where kids are the ones who are sort of taking ownership in this world of terrible adults. As Mm -hmm. I was watching this, actually, for the first time, because I like I also grew up loving the book as well. It was my first time thinking, oh, this just feels like Carrie. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I had that same thought. Right. It's Carrie. But instead, all the kids are pretty much nice to each other. And instead of it being against the bullying kids, it's against the bullying adults. Mm -hmm. Overall. I thought it was really entertaining and the songs do not for me hold together. They have that very, what has become this familiar Broadway sort of tone or like just musical theater tone of the last like 15, 20 years where it's like just chords like plunk, 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 plunk. Then the kids are talking and they're just like, and I'm just, actually, let's just play a little bit of that. It all begins to sound samey, but I I do think Lashana Lynch's song, that was a song for me that held together the best. I just love the way her voice sounds. It's very clear. And I also could understand her motivation at that moment of singing the song. On this pillow, I can dream my nights away. On this table, as you can see, but it's perfect for tea. It isn't much, but it is enough. 
What it comes down to is we all kind of liked aspects of it, but I, I want to hear and get into our caveats now. What holds you back from a full-throated, I really loved this movie reaction? Margaret, let's start with you. Well, I was really excited to see Emma Thompson in this movie because it felt like they were going in a different direction from the direction the book had gone. And so Roald Dahl is always working in these very sort of like grotesque, cartoonish types. And what that means is like he's enshrining a lot of like your goodness is reflected in your features. And like if you're beautiful, you're a good person. And if you're fat and ugly, you're like lazy and selfish and contemptible. And I was like, oh, but we're casting Emma Thompson as the Trunchbull. So we're going to go in a different direction. And then the movie was like, "Mm, nope. (laughs) Yeah. We cast Emma Thompson and we shoved her into a fat suit and we put a weird nose on her. So you can still see that like fat people are evil. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. Kate, am I am I on to something? Is that what your problem was? Yeah, 100%. I think the frustrating part for me is that, aside from the fat suit, I think she gives a pretty great performance. Yeah. She's really fun, and I think that as a villain, honestly, I kind of love it. Yeah. But this fat suit, it's just... Part of this is that I saw this movie pretty soon after having watched The Whale, a film that made me absolutely sob with frustration and anger. <sighs> I felt upset about this fat suit, specifically because one of the things that frustrates me about these suits in particular is that they never even actually manage to capture the physicality of fat people. Mm -hmm. Her hands aren't fat. I noticed that because they don't think about those things, right? The whole bottom half of her face doesn't move because it's prosthetic. And it bothers me as a person who identifies as a fat woman to see that even in this fantasy setting, we can't even imagine a world in which fat people just exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm very much of the mind of, like, gain the weight, like, commit. I mean, like, at the very least, I mean, Renee Zellberger was pretty small in the yeah. Bridget Jones movies, but she did, in fact, gain that weight. So she gets props. And for 2001 standards, you know, speaking as somebody who came of age in that <laughs> yeah. moment, that was, quote unquote, fat. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, well, we can get into the issues that movie gave me later. But, and this is the part that I'm a little hesitant to kind of get into, but performers who appear in fat suits should be getting the same kind of pushback as performers who appear in blackface. Oh, yeah. It serves the exact same purpose. And I'm not sure why this movie was the breaking point for me, but it was the first time that I really understood on a psychological level why this representation is so bad. We have made it an industry standard for an oppressed group, hair fat people, to be depicted solely by the group of people that oppresses them, skinny people, by making up stories about them, literally just putting on their skin and making up stories about what they think their lives are without any input from us. How is that any different than what we were doing with blackface? And I think that we are quickly approaching a time in which we will start seeing real noise about this in a way that performers aren't able to get away from. I think that we're going to approach a point where we start scrubbing episodes of Friends, where we start pulling the stuff off of streaming services. Mm -hmm. If you really think about it, it does not make sense to continue this practice. We have fat actors. They're great. Some of them have, you know, wonderful careers. Like, why wasn't Melissa McCarthy cast in this role? Like, she would have been fantastic. She's an incredible comic actor. And this movie would have called for that. But it is frustrating to me to recognize that, as Guy Branham said on the Whale episode, that, like, people see us as half a puppet. Mm-hmm. And that is really frustrating. Yeah. No, I I think those are all great points. And here's where I think the, the sort of distinction between this and blackface can possibly be argued. I'm not saying they're not the same or similar, but I do think 
The thing about blackface is that aside from all like the roots of history that you can contend with there, there was never a belief that you were actually transforming into a black person per se. Whereas with these fat suits, often, especially in something like The Whale or this movie, there's this language that is often used by the people creating these films to say like, oh, they transformed into this character. It's not necessarily even meant to be quote unquote funny or something to laugh at. Sometimes it's taken as this is them doing like, Daniel Day Lewis, except not doing Daniel Day Lewis. Like you're not, <laughs> yeah, you're not committing, doing, you're not doing the homework. To the work, yeah, right, this right, right. The method acting, right. And so mm-hmm. I think that sort of gives them a pass to some people, or at least into the industry, in a way that blackface has. You're going to get more pressure for blackface than I think you are for this. Um, even just in the last few years, we've had Sarah Paulson and other people come under fire mm-hmm. for this, and they say they regret doing it, but then you know. <laughs> We're still getting this. I keep doing it. To Margaret's point, it would have been really interesting to see Emma Thompson as herself yeah. in that role because she is a great actress. She doesn't need that makeup. No. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's also just kind of disappointing considering earlier in 2022 when Good Luck to You, Leo Grand came out. And it was very much about Emma Thompson's character being in her body as an older woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah. <laughs> Emma Thompson, I want It's almost as if you could apply the same principles to fat people. I know, I know. It was a disappointing choice, and it really stands out as a bad choice in an otherwise really brilliantly costumed and production designed movie. Yeah, yeah. And I really think that in terms of the visual look of this movie, that it's really spectacular. Yeah. Now, I want to pivot a little bit and kind of ask your perspectives on the way this film and other iterations of it have treated mm-hmm. what is child abuse? Mm. Um, how how did this movie strike you and the way it handled that? It keeps a lot of the elements of the previous iterations, like Trunchbull grabbing a girl by her pigtails and literally hurling her across hundreds laugh. of feet. <laughs> um, and in a mm-hmm. quota, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of treated as a comedic moment. Yeah, it's it absolutely is. treated as a comedic moment. Yeah, yeah. So like, how does that hit you now that you're an adult and also now that we've had so many of these conversations now about what used to not be necessarily considered abuse versus what we consider today to be like, clearly this is not okay. It's unequivocally like if you describe the things that happen, you're like, well, that's that's child abuse. If you're if you're shoving a child into a tiny little Iron Maiden, basically, like that's what the chokey is like. That's child abuse. But in terms of how it is presented on the screen, it is like a fairy tale. Right. It's not presented in a way that is very realistic. And I think what that speaks to is that there's actually a thing that I think we as adults forget about who we were as kids, which is that kids are bloodthirsty savages with very clear ideas of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what Roald Dahl speaks to. I think that that's what made it work so well for me as a kid is it's like I'm tiny. I'm powerless. I'm living in a world that's patently unfair and nobody seems to care about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you step into this Roald Dahl book and the unfairness is exaggerated in a way that is tasty. It's satisfying. And then righteousness is implemented and it is equally outsized. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah. And as an adult, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yikes. I don't think it's teaching bad things. I just don't think that the palette that it's working in speaks to the sensibilities of who I am as a grown-up anymore. And I guess that's what I'd want to know from you guys. It's like, do you think that this is a mode that is totally legitimate for kids? Like, it speaks to a developmental stage for kids. And like, let's preserve that. Or do we think that this is just like 
creating a coarser world. <laughs> I mean, I think that if you are approaching this film as a film about and for kids, it works for me. Because I think one of the things that I really appreciated about this film is the way that it shows Matilda working through the injustices of the world through the lens of a child. And even in this, you know, the sprawling story that she tells through the course of the film, it becomes clear that she's using it as a way to work through the abuse and express the abuse that she is experiencing without having the language to do that in the way that an adult might. And I think that that happens repeatedly over the course of the film with other children as well, where they have a very childlike view of the abuse that they're experiencing. But they do, in fact, understand that it is bad and that it's abuse and that it's unfair and that it shouldn't be happening to them. What makes this work for me is that even though it feels comical and like being played as a joke and that it's so outsized, it makes sense to me as a way that children might experience that, even if it's not factually true, it's emotionally true for them. The one thing that stuck out to me as something that I maybe didn't like was that first song, I forget what it's called, but um, Matilda's I Want song, where she um, (laughs) dyes her father's hair green. There's a line in it that says something to the effect Mm -hmm. of, if you let them run all over you, like, it's lazier or something like that. Basically, the idea that, like, you have a responsibility to stand up, and if you don't, then it's your fault. And I didn't love that, especially because this character is five years old. Right. The children who are watching this are likely very young, and I don't like the idea that they are being told that if they cannot effect change in the the harmful environments that they are living in, that they are somehow to blame. Mm -hmm. As the protagonist of this story, like, she is empowered to act in a way that other children in the story and both in real life are not. It's a bit skewed in her favor, in in her ability to not let people walk all over her, especially because she gets magical powers, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a little tilted in her favor. Yeah. Overall, this movie really, I think, radicalized me to the position of children as a class. I feel like in that final number of Voting Children, I, like, cried. <laughs> I was so moved by all of them at the end of this film coming out and saying, like, this isn't okay. We're not going to stand for it anymore. Like, we deserve to be treated better. In the end, you know, transform the school under Miss Honey into a place that is actually welcoming and nurturing for kids. Because that's what children deserve. And I think as a culture, we are very blind to the fact that, like, kids are people. They should be treated like sovereign beings. Precisely. And I think that, to me, that's the, the biggest takeaway from this film, the thing that I think really makes it a film that I would generally recommend. It's that idea that, like, children have rights. They have rights that should be respected. They deserve to be treated well. It's not a matter of the whims of the adults they happen to find themselves around. And the idea that children can come together, recognize that right, and fight for it is really inspiring to me. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a fantasy. And Mm -hmm. also, the stories that get told are the stories of the ones who take control and take action and who are not necessarily victimized at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I can understand why that throwaway line kind of feels icky. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. The rest of the kids are also inspired by Matilda, obviously. And Mm -hmm. yes to that revolting children. Like that was also 
for me, the highlight, the the choreography by Ellen Kane is <laughs> so fantastic there and so powerful and really works with the song and the music and what it's trying to convey. It's also just like, I had to watch it several times. It's just <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's really terrific. But yeah, I think to your, to your question, Margaret, which I think is great, I, I think that as an adult myself, I feel as though, yes, there definitely doesn't necessarily feel realistic or it's not supposed to, but like it doesn't feel like something that I can necessarily believe in because I'm like, oh, at the end of the day, they create this school that everyone like that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) How I wish it could. But when you're a kid, it's like you need that to at least believe that it's possible. Like Kate said, this is it's really it works because it, it is telling kids what can be possible, even if it does so by telling them that, like, if you have telekinesis, things can change. <laughs> well, I mean, if we had telekinesis, who knows what we, we could change. change things. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. You know, but I was always educated in an appropriate grade level, so I never had that excess <laughs> mental energy to move a pencil. See, and that's one of the things that I really like, too. Like, the little kid who explains to her or asks her if she has telekinesis, as he says, the way he <laughs> describes that, it's so, yeah. like, it's such a child's perspective. And I really liked that because I felt like we were getting a story their understanding of the world, the way a five-year-old sees the world. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, The way that the children work together to bring about these ends, I think, is one of, like, the best aspects of this story. And I think that that is substantially more true in this adaptation than it is in either the book or the um, Danny DeVito-directed one from 1996. And I think it also makes sense as a musical. Um, What is harder for me is just... I don't think that the stories shouldn't be told this way, but I guess if somebody is setting out to write a Roald Dahl-esque story today, like, what would I love to see changed? Just, like, turn the sadism down to, like, a six, you know? <laughs> like, I think you could take the sadism down to a six, and I think that that's what happens in the DeVito movie, is it's like, what's hard for this about me is you are just sitting with long stretches of Trunchul just being terrible in the same way over and over again. Like, she could have thrown one child by their pigtails. We would have had the shape of it. As a viewer, sitting through as much of that as I had to, I was like, tonally, this is just not for me. (laughs) See, I feel like that's where I disagree because I think the, the extremeness of the violence is part of what situates it as something that a child is experiencing. Everything feels bigger when you're small. And I think, for me, the way that I read it is that these things aren't literally happening. This is how those kids are experiencing them. The outsized nature of those things is part of what spurs them to action because they are perceiving this as like a, a shakeup of their entire world. It also is just enough removed from, I would hope, most viewers' real lives. It's in that realm of like adventure, of fantasy, of fairy tale, mm-hmm. right? Rather than being like, I think if it was equivalent amounts of sadistic behavior, but the sadism was like, she's embarrassing children in front of their classmates over and over and over again on a more believable, realistic scale. I think that would actually be more painful to watch as a child than something like this, where the way the wrongs being done to you feel inside you is like matched by the scale of how it's being depicted fictionally. Well, Mm -hmm. I think these are all great points. And we've really wrestled with this fun, fun, yet very dark (laughs) musical. (laughs) And yeah, Go watch it, or if you you have already watched it, let us know what you think about Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. 
You can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Kate Young and Margaret H. Wilson, thanks to you both for being here. This was a really stimulating conversation, for sure. Thank you. I'm so glad to be part of it. Thanks, Asia. And one last thing before we go, we're going to be talking about the TV series Cheers. Yes, cheers. And we want to know your questions about the series. What should we talk about? Email us a voice memo with your question about cheers to pchh at npr.org. Again, you can email us a voice memo with your question to pchh at npr.org. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow when we'll be talking about women talking. <laughs>